This sermon, a divine mic drop, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, February 4th, 2024 at Sovereign Grace Church. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here with you this Sunday. Looks like there's plenty of people who aren't with us this morning, though. We trust that they are healthy and they know the Lord's presence. But after being gone last Sunday, boy, Dawn and I were eager to get back with you this Sunday. If you're visiting, my name is Derek Overstreet. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. I also had the privilege of preaching God's Word. So would you open up your Bibles to the book of Judges? This morning we are in Judges 6 as we preach through that book. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 25 through 32. So if you would stand with me, let's read God's Word together. It's a continuation of the story of Gideon, which we looked at last week. Verse 25, that night the Lord said to him, that is Gideon, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took men of his ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. And when the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself. Because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubel, and that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Maybe seated. Please pray with me. Lord, this is your word. We ask that you would cause it to bear fruit in our hearts. Give us understanding. Encourage us through this word. Convict us where we need to be convicted through your word. Be merciful to us and work in us for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen to this poem. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, When God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, 
when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world should, shall be amazed. Watch his methods. Watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes. How he chooses whom he, how he uses whom he chooses and which every purpose fuses him. By every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. In a few weeks, we will witness God use Gideon. This man, this man who has already described himself as a weakling in last week's passage. We will watch on as God uses Gideon and just 300 men to defeat an army of 135,000. But we are not there yet. Today, God continues to prepare Gideon. In the words of the anonymous poem, God is drilling him and thrilling him. He is molding him and hammering him, shaping him for his good and his own glory. And he is doing the same with you and I today. Whether that is individually as believers or collectively as a church, God is shaping us, molding us, preparing us for whatever works he has, whether that is in the privacy of your own home and your family, or that is your evangelistic efforts out in the public square. He is at work. He is at work in each one of us. And today, I believe God wants to break down idols. I believe God wants to relieve us of the fears that keeps us from pursuing him as his, if you will, loyal subjects, his loyal and grateful people. In fact, I think if we just took this story and we put it into one sentence, I think it would be this, because God is for us, because God is for you, you have all you need to live for God. We are all Gideons in a greater, we are, we are all Gideons in a, in, a, in a sense that we need a greater vision of the sufficiency and the faithfulness of God. That's what you saw God doing in last week's text, revealing his sufficiency, revealing his mercy, revealing his faithfulness to Gideon. And we need that. This morning, we need Christ elevated in our minds and in our hearts. Today, Gideon's drilling and thrilling and molding and hammering is for us as well, so that we will know and believe 
and trust. Indeed, that because God is for us, we have all we need to live for God. We're going to get there two ways this morning uh, using the text. The first point this morning is what are you, what do you serve? And then we'll ask the question, what do I fear? What, what do you serve and what do you fear in this life? So let's look at the first point. What do you serve? Uh, if you were here last week or, or you read last week's text, uh, it, you know that it's been quite a day for Gideon. And verse 25 indicates that, that the day's not over. It, we're still in the same day. It's night now, but verse 25 says, that night, that night, the Lord said to Gideon. So the day for Gideon is far from over. And what we're going to see is that before Gideon goes into battle with Midian, we all love Gideon and his 300 men. What an amazing children's ministry story to, to bring to them and act out, right? Well, well, what happened there begins here. Before Gideon goes into battle with Midian, God calls Gideon to battle with the idols in his own backyard. That's what's going on here. He said, no, no, before I send you out there, I need to work in you right here in your own backyard, in your own heart. Notice verse 25 again, what it says. It says, that night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. Each new passage that we look at in Judges teaches us more and more about the degree and the nature of Israel's spiritual decline. And what we see in these opening verses is nothing short of shocking. Gideon's dad, we are told here, in, these, in verse 20, 25, 26, Gideon's father, this is, you notice in, in verse 27, it says that Gideon took 10 servants. Gideon's father is a man of, of wealth. He is a man of stature. He, 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 he has power in the community. And here we see that his dad, Joash, has built a shrine to Baal, the god of the storm, the Canaanite god, and next to it he has carved out an Asherah pole. If you don't know what an Asherah pole is, uh, it's kind of like a totem pole. It's just the god of Asherah, which was Baal's female counterpart, the, the goddess of fertility. Just her image carved out in a pole. So you have this shrine, this altar to Baal where people can come and worship. And then right next to it, you have an Asherah pole. So that people can also worship the goddess of fertility. This is Gideon's dad. <laughs> He's an Israelite. And here he is, he has dedicated a portion of his property. 
It's like you taking a little corner of your property. Actually, we see that often here. For some in the Catholic community who have carved, built a shrine to Mother Mary in the corner of their property. That's not uncommon in Tucson. But that's what Gideon's father has done. And it's shocking. Gideon grew up with this to some degree. His family has dedicated a space on their property for idol worship. Don't just read over that. Sit back and say, oh, Lord, I'm beginning to understand every week a little more what Samuel meant when he wrote, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Now, throughout Judges, God deals with Israel's idolatry. But really, this is the first time that, that, that we really see it, and God addresses it in such a specific way. And the message here for us this morning really is unmistakable. Israel's root problem was not the pagan nations. It was their own idolatrous hearts. Their problem isn't with Midian. It's with God. We like to, as Christians, attempting to look out into the world, to turn on the news, and with this self-righteous disgust, indeed, we need to hate sin. But let's be careful that, 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 that we don't stand before the world thumping our chest saying, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like them. <laughs> because we all need a Savior. Like Israel, the problem isn't out there. It's, it's in here. And Israel's problem is that they're forgetting about God. They are refusing to serve God. Think about it. We have already seen. We're just getting started in Judges. We have already seen. And you saw it last week. God has lavished his blessings on Israel. He has been gracious to them beyond measure. His patience has known no bounds with them. Time and again, he has been faithful to them, despite their unfaithfulness to him. God, God delivered their forefathers out of the bondage of Egypt. He gave them the promised land. He promised his presence. He mercifully made them his people and called them to live as a light and testimony to his power and his glory. And in that, he has said, I'm sufficient for you to do that. I will be faithful that you might do that. I will be patient with you knowing that you won't always do that as you should. And yet... Gideon's story begins with the chasing of idols. The chasing of idols. So God's first task for Gideon before he goes off for this and has this epic victory. God's first task is for, for Gideon to prepare him for that battle by saying, listen, here's what I want you to do. Go into your own backyard. 
and take care of your own idols. See, Gideon can't go into battle for the Lord while worshiping idols at home. That's kind of the point here. And it's not just that that's bad optics, right? Boy, we, optics are a big thing, aren't they? Well, that doesn't look good. That's not the issue here. It can't be done. It can't be done. Gideon can't go out on mission for the Lord while he's worshiping idols in his own backyard. David Jackman, in his commentary, says, you cannot have an altar to Yahweh and an altar to a false god on the same property. Why? The Lord is a jealous God, and he will not share his territory or his glory with any other. Syncretism is an impossibility. Syncretism is an impossibility. I'm confident that no one here has pagan altars or an Asherah pole in their backyard. If you do, then let's chop it down. <laughs> Brian's got a chainsaw. We'll get a couple guys in the church and we will come over and we will destroy it. But don't we all have Asherah poles in our heart? Haven't we all erected some kind of shrine in our hearts that take our attention away from God, that become what we're really serving? Politics and popularity, reputation and respect, money and success, fashion and looks, accomplishment and education, personal comfort and convenience. No matter how public, no matter how private, be it traditional gods, cultural gods, family gods, whatever it is, these and more are the 21st century Asherah poles. They are the 21st century Baals that we erect, not next to the barbecue in our backyard, Perhaps your barbecue is an Asherah pole. I don't know. <laughs> but in our own hearts. So we can't move away from the opening verses of this story without saying, what is yours? What is mine? As a church, what are we known for that, that may be Asherah poles? Our own traditions. Our own Preferences that we turn into truth. What are ours? This is a critical question. And here's why. Scripture's clear on this. Matthew 6 says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one or love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
You see that? It's not just bad optics. It's not just hypocrisy. It can't be done, the Bible says. Gideon, you can't do this. Jesus would say to Gideon, Gideon, you, if my father's going to use you out there, you need to take care of what's in here. <laughs> because you can't serve two masters. Now, now in the immediate context, the immediate application for Matthew 6 is what? It's money. It's possessions. But the principle extends to so many other, in fact, every other context of our life where we might be vulnerable to erecting asherah And the scriptures say, whether it's the story and example of Gideon, which remember Paul said when he wrote to the Corinthians, is there for our example that we might learn. Or it's Jesus' own teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. No one can serve two masters. It can't be done. God's nature won't allow it. God's glory won't tolerate it. God will not share your heart. He will not share my heart with anything or anyone. And that means he will do whatever he deems necessary to strip us of our Asherah poles. You see, you, you can't, I can't put my hope in Christ for eternity, but my hope in money for this life. You can't serve God, then put your trust in good health. You, you can't say, Jesus is my all in all, but then find satisfaction in your stuff. We can't say Christ is my purpose, but find our identity in politics, relationships, work, or personal ministry. You can't be on mission for God, but then be in love with the world. And in love with the world, what I mean by that is think like they think. Buy into their philosophies and values. That's the point of 1 John. You can't say, I trust God when things are good, but look to the world's ways when times are tough. Can't be done. God won't allow it. He wants our full attention. You know what the good news in that is? We saw it last week with Gideon. He is patient. <laughs> he is merciful. He knows where he's going with your heart. He, he has a plan. He, he's not reactive. <laughs> he knows what he's doing, just like he knew what he was doing with Gideon. And so we, we see these opening verses. And like Gideon, like Gideon, God calls us to chop down the idols of our hearts because we can't serve idols and live for God at the same time. Now he goes on. The, the, in verse 27, uh, notice what he says in verse 27. And this really leads into our second point. Who do you fear? Uh, uh, who do you serve? What do you serve? And now who do you fear? Notice what happens in verse 27. So after hearing from the Lord, Gideon took men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But then listen to this. But because he was too afraid of his family... And the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Now, I want to first give 
I think we should first give Gideon some credit. Not Gideon, really, the Spirit of God in him. But, but to his credit, he did what Israel had not been doing. You remember verse 10 from last week's sermon? The charge from the Lord was, My people are not obeying my voice. Gideon does. He obeyed the voice of God. He acted out of faith and he followed the Lord. But even in following the Lord, he is still struggling to trust God. And here's some good news. We don't have to be here for God to use. We will never be perfected in this life. There is a reason why we like to attach the word progressive before the word sanctification. We are a work in progress. God is perfecting us day by day, transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ, transforming us from one glory to another as we set our eyes on Christ. And as the Spirit empowers us to walk by His Word, to walk by faith instead of sight, as He teaches us to learn righteousness and hate unrighteousness. But the reality is there will be some degree of struggle for every one of us in that area, in those areas, until until we see our Savior face to face. That should make us long for that day of heaven. But the fact that Gideon acted in faith, even though, as we will see in a moment, he struggled. He struggled. God still uses him. Gideon destroyed the altar and the Asherah by night. Why is that a big deal? The text tells us. Because he was afraid. Once again, he didn't take God at his word in the last passage. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. No fear. I'm not going to strike you dead. And no fear. I will go with you. My presence will be with you. But why did he do it at night? The fear of man. Verse 27 says he was afraid of his father. He was afraid of his family. And he was afraid of the townspeople. Now, that's a new term, fear of man. Uh, two really good explanations. C.J. Mahaney, senior pastor of our church in Louisville, one of the founders of Sovereign Grace Churches. Uh, he says, he describes, he says, fear of man is an excessive sinful concern with what other people with what others think about us. An inordinate desire for human approval or intense fear of being rejected. Ed Welch describes it this way. However you put it, the fear man can be summarized this way. We replace God with people. Instead of biblically guided fear of the Lord, we fear others. And, and if it, this touches everybody, some more than others. Peter was very vulnerable to this. We see it more than once in Scripture, where he feared man more than he feared the Lord. He feared a 12-year-old girl in the Savior's most dire moment more than he feared his Savior. He feared the Judaizers. And instead of demonstrating the gospel and how the gospel breaks down walls of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, he caved into the fear of man. He feared the Judaizers. 
and he refused to eat. And for that, Paul had to call him out boldly and clearly. But there's a great book written by Ed Welch, When People Are Big and God is Small. It's on the fear of man, overcoming peer pressure, codependency, and the fear of man. If you have never read this, I encourage you, read it. Because everyone in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, from the most spiritually mature to the least spiritually mature, everyone in this room to some degree struggles with what Gideon struggled here with here. Uh, the, the fear of man is one of the most common, and, and I would submit this to you, the ultimate expression of self-worship. Because it actually uses others. It, 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 it denies God, and I want you to think a particular way about me. So I manipulate you. What you think about me is that important to me. Not what God says about me here. So th th this sin is, it has to be rooted out. And if you want to know how to do that, I'd love to talk to you about that. This is not a sermon on the fear of man. So we're not going to dig deep on that here. But here's what I want you to see. Fear of man loomed large in Gideon. <laughs> the guy who, who would lead God's people to one of the most epic victories on the battlefield. Gideon struggled with this. People were big. His father, his family, the, the, the men in the town, they were big and Yahweh was small. Remember, and remember what happened just hours earlier in last week's text. God came to Gideon, assuring him of protection, peace, and his presence. But then in the heat of the moment, people were big. And suddenly God became very small in his eyes. And Gideon's temptation is understandable if we keep reading the story. These were his father's idols. And to destroy them was to go against his father. And to go against his father, well, that was to risk shame, family shame disinheritance or perhaps death these were the people's idols and you know how it goes when someone messes with your idol right look at verse 28 look at how the people responded in verse 28 when the, town, when the men of the town arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the asher beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they, that is the townspeople, and they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, in other words, okay, we're going to find out. After they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon. The son of Joash has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, his father, bring out your son that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. Don't, don't, don't feel, the, feel the intensity of this moment. In the morning... 
And it's probably a reminder that these idols weren't just for Joash and his family. There were probably townspeople who as well went there to worship. So in the morning, whether they were going to worship there or they walked by or they heard it just through the grapevine, they are enraged. Who, who did this? Who cut down the Asherah? Who burned the wood? Who destroyed this altar? They find out and they tell his dad, give him to us. He deserves to die for what he did. Don't, mesh, don't, don't miss the... Me- we, we, get these, we get these measuring sticks throughout the flow of judges that remind us just how far Israel has fallen. Just how deep their spiritual decline is. Gideon destroyed pagan idols. Now, I would think they would throw a parade for him. After all, these are God's people. They don't. He's not a hero. He's a villain worthy of the death sentence. They want to kill him. Now, this is where the, the, points, the, the two points of this sermon, they may seem connected, but, but they aren't. You see, when we address the idols of our heart, whether it's bringing them into the light where others can see them, whether that's sitting in community group, and yes, community group is a place for you to share your idols, and if community group leaders aren't taking you there, talk to them about the purpose of community group. But whether it's in community group, or whether it's just one-on-one, or whether somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm concerned about this in your life, that it's an idol. Or whether it's in the Spirit of God, you recognize your idols, and you, you chop them down. You take the axe to them. And so there are new priorities and there are new passions present in turning from your idols to God, i.e. repentance. People will see that. And what they may think about you, what they may say about you, or what they may do to you, that can rule your heart. When our idols are exposed, fear of man can loom large. And Gideon's story reminds us of that. And so we have to learn as he is learning that overcoming the fear of man, it's not just that it's sinful, but that it's critical to learning to trust God. It's critical to following God. You've heard me say this before, but I believe that fear of man is the kryptonite to the Christian life. Because the fear of man does two things, primarily. It distorts our identity in Christ. Because in the fear of man, we seek our identity in the opinions and the praises of other people. Not not a crucified and risen Savior who is our all in all. And second, 
And so it, 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 in a sense, almost becomes another gospel. But as well, fear of man paralyzes us to walk by the Spirit, to follow the Spirit as He leads us, to walk in the goodness and obedience of Scripture. Because fear of man means that we're guided by others' opinions, not by God's Word. And so it's critical to trusting God. Samuel could have just said, and he tore him down. There's something here he wants us to see. Gideon was afraid. All that God had told him that day, all that God had reassured him of that day, all that God had promised of him that day, and even in, her, and even in his faith that he would go and he would chop down the Asherah and he would destroy the, the temple, the, the shrine, even in that, he was still, he still had the people looming bigger than God in his heart. Listen, Gideon, Gideon lived in an increasingly hostile environment. That, that's very clear <laughs> by this scene. The townspeople want to kill him because he broke down a pagan altar. It's a reminder that Israel was fully entrenched in the gods of their culture. And it's the same with us. It can be the same with us. The culture, our government, the social constructs that shape our society are increasingly hostile to Christianity. And so we are not immune. Actually, our struggle with self-worship makes us prone to take the path of least resistance, which is exactly what Gideon is doing here. We live in a day when right is becoming wrong and wrong is becoming right. What's moral has become immoral and what's immoral has become moral. We live in a day where, where increasingly good is seen as bad and bad is seen as good. Serving God, not good. Kill Gideon. Serving pagan idols, good. It's just different. It's the same problem. It's the same old problem. Truth is being turned into falsehood and falsehood into truth. And as a church, the answer isn't Christian nationalism. We're not building a, we're not called to build a theocracy. But neither are we called to live in our Benedict bubbles, if you will. What we're called to, even in an increasingly hostile culture and world, what we're called to, our mission is to unashamedly, unequivocally, unapologetically share Christ, live for Christ, and in the words of Jude 3, contend for Christ. Contend for the faith. The world is contending in a lot of ways for your attention. They want you to step in line. That is not what we are called to. We're called to, we're called to do battle. 
spiritual battle. And we do that with the cross and with God's word. We, we, stay clo- we cling to the cross and we stay close to our Bibles and we love. We love those that God brings across our paths. Not just we're nice and understanding. That's not necessarily love. No, we speak the truth in love. We give them Jesus. But all of that doesn't begin out there. It begins in here. And like Gideon's Day Church, I would say to me, we need revival for this. We, we need revival brought on by the Holy Spirit. And that doesn't begin out there. It doesn't begin in a tent with a lot of people getting saved. True revival begins in here. It begins in our own backyard. It begins as it began with Gideon, chopping down our own idols. Oh, Lord, know me. Know me and purify me. Know my ways and show me where where I need to turn and repent. And that begins, listen, and this chopping begins by elevating Christ. Above all things. It begins by elevating Christ above all people. It, it, it begins with the Spirit filling the eyes of our hearts with a vision of Jesus. Not people, but the vision of Christ as awesome and glorious and beautiful and are all in all. That he is worthy of our lives, Romans 12, 1, in every way to be worshiped to him, that he will not fail you, that he will not leave you. He has sent his spirit to fill you. He's given us everything that we need to live for him as our all in all. He has promised that we can do all things according to his will for us. In Christ, but we can do nothing apart from Christ. So this is not a, some clarion call that's impossible. It's impossible for us in our own strength. But it's not Gideon and his might or his military prowess that could take 300 men and defeat an army of 135,000. It's that just as he promised, the Lord was with him. It's just as he promised, the Lord had a plan. And his call to Gideon was, follow me and trust me. No matter what it begins to look like, and we're going to see that as God whittles his army down. Don't live by sight, live by faith, Gideon. I have spoken my word to you, and it is unfailing. I want you to notice how this scene ends. Look at verse 31. Everybody's there. They want to kill Gideon. Verse 31. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. I love this scene. Now, some, some will say that Joash was merely protecting his son. I have no doubt. I have no doubt that he was protecting his son. But I think there's more than just a father's love here. 
in the divine father's mercy and love, Joash, this is his pagan shrine. This is his Asherah pole. He, I believe, has had his eyes open to the greatness of Yahweh over, over the idol's in his backyard. And what he does here, he, he essentially torpedoes the pagan gods by challenging the people to allow them to contend for themselves. Verse 31, if he is a god, then let him contend for himself. In other words, let him deal with my son. And this is my favorite scene. This is where I, I got the title for the sermon. It's a divine mic drop at this moment. The situation, I mean, look at the text. It's over. The people have no answer. They don't say anything because they can't. Baal does nothing. Where is he? Where is Ashereth? Where is she? Contend for yourself. Gideon has destroyed your altar. Silence. Silence because their gods are no God at all. Empty and useless idols made of wood and stone by the hands of man. And once again, God shows himself the victor. He shows himself as sufficient. He separates himself. He shows himself transcendent even over the gods of Canaan. And the scene is a bunch of people standing around staring at piles of ash and rubble. Now we're going to see next week, God gives favor to Gideon, and so the men join him. But this week, I don't, there's something I want to make sure we don't miss, because this scene ends with a crowd of people standing over a pile of rubble and ash. It needs to be cleaned up. But don't miss the pile of rubble, because in it we get a glimpse of our hope for the fight against our own idolatry, our own fears, our strength for, for, the, for the gospel mission God has enjoined us to. Gideon had his place in redemptive history as a deliverer of God's people. God, will, God is preparing him to trust him, and he will use him to deliver his people. But his story ends the same as any other judge. Just go look at chapter 8, verses 33 through 35. It's the same thing. Gideon leaves the scene, and his people go right back to their Asherahs and their bells. But in time, as Scripture says, at just the right time, God's sufficiency and his faithfulness and his presence, his glory, would be revealed in another one who he sent. His own son, whose work on the cross would reduce the power and the penalty of sin to rubble.
nothing. The empty tomb renders Satan like these men, silent with no answer. This is the ultimate mic drop. As it says in Romans 8, if it is God who justifies us, who can condemn us? Silence from Satan. No one. If if God is for us, who can be against us? No one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Silence. Why? Because Christ has contended for you with his very blood. And so the answer is no one. Not Satan, not people, not even your own idolatry. Not even your own fear of man. Not even your own sin. And that's what I want us to see here most of all. These piles of rubble lead us to a bloody cross and an empty tomb that silences our enemies, that silences Satan, that silences our own sin. We don't have to contend for ourselves before the throne of God above. Because not only did, did, God open, did Christ open up the veil, but he is there now interceding for us. His blood continues to intercede for our forgiveness. And it is an unfailing intercession. He's not just praying for your day. He stands as your case. And so now by his grace and power and spirit... As he thrills you and drills you, as he is shaping you and molding you, hammering you into the beloved child and holy servant he has made you and will perfect you when he returns, you can trust him because he is sufficient for you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I had a sense as I studied uh, this weekend from the Spirit that God wants to, well, He wants to leave piles of rubble in this room. Here's what I mean by that. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. He wants, he, he wants you to turn from your sin and put your faith in His Son, Jesus. He wants to reduce your unbelief that at this moment right now has made you, has put you under his judgment. He wants to reduce your unbelief to rubble. He has done all that needs to be done for you to be saved from the coming wrath on account of your sin to the glory and the wonders of his mercy and grace and love. And the scripture calls you to one thing, to believe. To believe. It's not a work. It's a work that God does in you. But he calls you to embrace that.
to allow, to allow whatever idols are keeping you from turning to him to be reduced to rubble. And if you're a Christian, we all have idols in here. But I believe there are some whose idols are looming large. Maybe you're watching and your idols are keeping you from being here with your brothers and sisters to gather on a Sunday. Maybe you have idols that are keeping you from being open and honest with those in your community group. Maybe you have idols that, that, that you know have become bigger. They say that's what an idol is, something we trust more than God, something that replaces God as our joy. You have something, well, if only this would happen, then it's probably an idol. Perhaps you have idols that people have come to you and said, I'm concerned about this. It seems like idolatry, as I know you, but you've refused. The Holy Spirit is here. The gospel has been preached. And God wants to turn your idols into rubble now. So I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to step out in faith like Gideon did. And if that's you, whether it's, yes, I am not a believer, but I want to believe. I believe in Jesus. Or if that's you, yes, Pastor, I, I have idols that right now I believe the Spirit of God is bringing to my heart and is convicting me. I just want you to raise your hand. I just want you to raise your hand. Thank you for your faith. Thank you for your humility. I believe the Lord wants to minister to all of us, but you in particular who raised your hands through a song. And so let's just take a moment now and listen to these words for the edification of our hearts.